Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame this week. I'm Keith Collins, your host. And I'm blessed this week, as I am every week, to know that you are listening to this program. And I pray that this episode will encourage you, that it will challenge you, that it will cause you to deliberately go deeper in your walk with God. And and, and I know this, um, we can have all of God that we desire, and He invites us. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. So... Let me encourage you to to lay aside every distraction, every hindrance, even if there's sin in your life. Be willing to deal with those things in order that you might walk more closely to the Lord. Praise God. Hey, I had an amazing weekend in Florida last weekend where I ministered at a church close to Tallahassee, Florida, and just really experienced the power of God moving in so many hearts and so many lives. And I want to just start off by thanking you this week, especially thanking those that pray for us, um, those that support us financially. What we do does obviously require funds to do it. And, you know, some of you support us on a monthly basis. Some have given one-time gifts. And listen, if you would like to stand with us, um, you can go to either one of our websites, um, keith-collins.org, or you can go to impactgf.org. Both of those sites um, have a donate button, and the funds that you give really help us to really reach the world. It helps pay for this program. Um, it helps for us to, um, or helps us to, to get into different nations. I'll be heading to the Philippines here in a few weeks, and then later in the year, going to other nations. I'll be in um, I'll be in Italy this year again, and hopefully heading to West Africa, and then towards the end of the year, India. And there's some other doors that are open to us that we're praying about. So, so really, what you do financially really does help us. So, thank you for standing with us. And again, if you'd like to become one of our partners, then please visit those websites, and we would so greatly appreciate it. Well, listen, over the last really several weeks, I've been talking quite a bit about the subject of revival and visitation that that um, is taking place even now in America, different parts of the world. I've spent some time talking about the Asbury revival or visitation that took place a few weeks ago and how that really the Lord used that. It seemed like a, kind of used it as a match to start a fire. And, and I'm continuing to hear good reports of the Lord moving in different parts of America as well as, as well as different parts of the world. I know in our own ministry, 
as we travel and minister and meet with leaders that um, we are definitely experiencing and seeing a new level of hunger that encourages us. So, so let me just encourage you, my friend, to just continue to seek the Lord, number one, for personal revival in your own life. I, I've said for years, we don't have to wait for the rest of the church to wake up for us to be awake. And so, and that's, that's just the reality. We can live in personal revival. It doesn't mean we won't have challenges. It doesn't mean there won't be battles that we face. But it means that the Lord will give us the grace that we need to become powerful, to become um, faithful, to become a people that are sold out to Him, that exert His power and His authority, His compassion, His mercy, and His love in a lost and a dying world. So, so friend, dig deep in your walk with God. You know, salvation was purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. We understand that. It comes by way of repentance. But the glory of God upon your life will cost you your life. In other words, you've got to be willing to lay your life down in order to experience that continual flow of eternal life and the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life where the Lord can anoint you and equip you to be used for His glory in this hour. So I just encourage you, my friend, to embrace personal revival. I mean, go for God. Go all out. You know, don't stick your foot in the shallow end of the pool. Go to the deep end and take the plunge and really live recklessly abandoned to the Lord. That's really the only way that I can see biblically that we are called to live. Jesus invites us to take up our cross and to follow him in the New Testament. And basically he's saying, lay everything aside, give your heart fully to me, let me be your single focus and come and follow me. So that's available to us. At the same time, we also understand, and I've been sharing a little bit about this, that there are seasons where the Lord pours out His glory, whether it be upon a church, maybe, or upon a, a city or a college, like we've seen at Asbury, and we've seen the Lord move there multiple times throughout the um, the twentieth now into the twenty first century, um, or maybe even sometimes it even impacts an entire nation. So we've seen, like the Welsh revival, of course, the one we know about is in nineteen o four, but even back in the eighteen hundreds, they had visitations of the Lord, and we read about the Azusa Street outpouring in Los Angeles, California, and the the Hebridean revival in the Hebrides off of Lewis Island in Scotland. And so anyway, there's there's a lot of history that we can look at where the Lord literally visits a people. But but I want to say something. Um, it doesn't just happen spontaneously. I don't believe, I mean, now, I do understand the sovereignty of God is always present. And what the Lord does in these type of visitations and revival settings cannot really be attributed to the talent or the gifting of a preacher or an individual. But there is something that's always present that I have found. And as I have studied revival and um, wrote some about revival, one thing that I have always seen is that the Lord had people positioned even prior to the outpouring that were unwilling to compromise in the area of prayer and intercession. And we also find that there are individuals that... um, that were willing to embrace the burden of God's heart for a people, for a city, for an island, for a nation, whatever the case may be. And and it's interesting that you can find that their prayer lives are tethered to these great visitations. Now, I, I've heard some history. I don't know 
or some some reports. I don't know all the details about that, but I did hear that even in Asbury, this recent outpouring a few weeks ago, that that there were a group of maybe faculty members and students, and I don't want to embellish something. I'm just telling you what I've heard, but but that there were a group of people that were praying for God to move again. I guess they knew the history of what God did back in 1970 there, as well as, you know, different, I think the first um, documented visitation at Asbury was in 1910, if I remember right. But anyhow, of course, they, they were cognizant or, or they were aware of this history, and there were a group of students and maybe faculty members or administrative people at the university there that began to, to pray for God to do it again. And then, of course, the morning that it happened, um, after the chapel, the students had such a burden for God to come back to the chapel and to pray, and as a result, you know, we've seen this um, this great outpouring again at Asbury where really thousands of people came just to partake of it and just to experience it. So my point is this. Um, I don't see revival without prayer. I, I don't see visitation without a price being paid in the prayer closet, um, without a people being willing to embrace the heart of God for, again, a people a generation, a nation, a city, a church. So we we see this historically. I know, and again, as many of you have heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, I was blessed to be a part of the Brownsville Revival, which happened in my hometown of Pensacola, Florida, place I was born. And um, it was an amazing thing, but, but I know that it didn't just happen. I know that that the pastor there, Pastor John Kilpatrick, called the people, like I think two or two and a half years Prior to this great outpouring, um, he shut down their Sunday night service and as far as what they normally do, and he turned it into a prayer service, and they begin to pray for revival. They begin to pray for um, the government, the school systems, um, souls to be saved. I mean, they, they embraced the burden of God's heart, and for, you know, two, two and a half years, I think it was two and a half years if I remember right, but they cried out to God. Then Father's Day of 1995, when Steve Hill was a visiting speaker that morning, um, the glory of God manifested, and for five years, um, we saw the Lord just do incredible things there at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. So, again, understand my point when I'm saying, or what I'm saying here is that there is no real outpouring without a price being paid in the secret place, in the prayer closet, in that place of intercession. And and I'm 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 really stirred by this because he, here's what I find. You know, we look at revivals and we always hear the question. Why did the revival end? Why did it stop? Now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one that that believes that that we should live in a spirit of revival. In other words, I think the church was meant to stay revived. At the same time, we know that historically the pattern is that oftentimes God will move and God will stir and God will challenge and God will arrest the hearts of His people. And they'll come back to repentance. That's our revival has to start in the church. Why? Because oftentimes the church is carnal and they are prayerless and they are indulging in the things of the world. They are no different in way of lifestyle and patterns than the world is. And they might be going to church. They might be sometimes maybe back in the 1700s in the first awakening in, in the American colonies. They were dormant. They were dry. You know, religion was focal, was a focal thing or focal point. However, a walk with God was not, and it was just dormant and dry. Therefore, they had to be awakened. And so, 
oftentimes, you know, revival um, presupposes spiritual decline or declension and even backsliding, lukewarmness, of course, but even backsliding among the people of God. And so the Lord will come and he'll burn among his own people. And again, these these great moves of God can be connected to prayer warriors like Jonathan Edwards. And, um, you know, Charles Finney was a prayer warrior and he had men around him, Abel Clary and Daniel Nash. And we can we can look at this history of these individuals. John Wesley was clearly a, a great man of prayer. And the, you know, the Methodist revival, that apostolic evangelistic movement that touched continents was birthed out of the prayer lives of, of Wesley and those around him, of course. But but I think that when I look at revival, I, I, I know that the Lord, in his loving kindness and in his mercy, from time to time seems to pour out his spirit upon his church, as he did with Israel, because of their backslidings, because of their idols in their hearts and even in their lifestyles and and he begins to arrest their hearts and the fire of God begins to burn because it takes fire to purify to cleanse to um to awaken to create fresh passion and hunger and thirst for the Lord so my point that I want you to see today is this if it takes prayer and intercession to um I guess I could say birth revival or birth a move of God then how much more should prayer be the focus in the midst of outpouring and even in the midst of the church? In other words, I I don't think this is rocket science. And again, I, I love reading about great visitations and I love reading about great revivals. The thing that sometimes um, challenges me is how the enemy will get in into the midst of a sovereign move of God and men mess it up. And the enemy comes in and causes, could be jealousy. Sometimes the spirit of Saul takes a hold of leadership and maybe God is using someone and like a David type figure and an enemy and the enemy begins to stir dissension and jealousy and all those type of things. Or, you know, it could be other things. Oftentimes I think it's, it's pride. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, Sadly, in our culture, especially in the West, someone can be used of God mightily and crowds can begin to come because God is moving. But all of a sudden, the the instrument, the the vessel, the preacher, the evangelist, the apostle, prophet, whatever, they, they become like a celebrity overnight, especially with social media and, and all the things that we have to to promote and to market and to advertise um, what God's doing. And, and again, I'm not saying all that's wrong. Sometimes God can use that. But it's never the, the, the plan of God or the purpose of God for men to claim credit for a move of God. And I want to say this, as I have studied not just the, the blessings, the benefits, and the exciting history of revivals over the past years that I've been able to, to study these moves of God, I will tell you that, um, that what I see oftentimes um, is that somewhere along the line, prayerlessness creeps in and even the activity of the revival the facilitation of the revival the daily demands of the of the revival the 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 practical things that that have to take place and I understand these things I've you know I've pastored a few churches and I've overseen a couple of bible colleges and we have 
we have a ministry that we you know we we travel around the world and we do conferences and we we preach a lot and we write books and we have a an apostolic network impact global fellowship that we oversee and facilitate so understand that there are practical things that that have to happen that have to take place and and sometimes we can be very very busy but let me just say this if we are doing and this is not I'm, I think it might have been um um well, I can't remember exactly who it was, but anyway, I, I, I think I heard this quote from from someone, and he said that if we're doing more than we can pray for or pray over, then we are doing too much, and and I believe that's the truth. I, I, I'm, I'm one that, that sometimes likes to step back and ask the Lord, God, thank you, number one, for all the doors you've opened, but are these doors really doors that you've opened or are these just opportunities that came along the way because maybe our ministry is having a different or maybe a, a broader reach than it did 10 years ago or five years ago and and i'll be honest with you um i have been in places i've been in seasons of my life where i was so busy that i neglected the lord it's not that i didn't love the lord it's not that i was um preaching another doctrine or another gospel i was on fire i'm on a certain level, and I was preaching truth, but I began to neglect prayer. And when it comes to revival, here's what I believe. I believe that many times the thing that bursts revival is the thing that is neglected in the midst of revival. And when you neglect prayer, um, human emotions begin to arise, um, arrogance, pride, um, self-promotion, even, you know, compromise begins to set in, even in revival. I remember years ago, many years ago now, um, I was the, the dean of students or dean of men at the Browns Revival School of Ministry, became the the um, the director of pastoral care, and eventually became the, the final president there. But, but I remember the Lord put a message on my heart one night in one of our BRSM Brownsville um, school services, and I I I dealt with something that I called frozen in the midst of fire. In other words, you can be in the midst of a great move of God where the Lord is touching lives and people are getting radically changed and baptized in the Holy Spirit and healed and everything else. However, in your own life, you can be frozen. In your own life, you can be cold and indifferent. You can become carnal, even in the midst of God moving. And and again, I... I think I've witnessed this myself in, in, in my own life at times. And again, it's not that I was into blatant sin. You know, uh, Charles Finney would talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. But but it is very easy to fall into the sin of omission. In other words, it's not so much what I'm doing, but it's not it's what I'm not doing. And And I'm convinced that as the Lord is moving again right now, as the Lord is pouring out His Spirit, it, it's exciting. Um, I love hearing the reports. I love talking to people. I, I love what God's doing among the young people right now as hearts are being stirred. But I I have a caution in my spirit, and that is that if we're not careful, we will see the same pattern that we've seen really for, for many years, for hundreds of years in the history of the church, and that is that we begin to neglect the Lord in the secret place. We begin to compromise in the area of intercession. We begin to think that, 
hey, revival's here. Let's just jump in the river and, and float in the river, swim in the river, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people use different terminology. But, but listen, friend, God has a pattern that I believe He instituted. And whenever we neglect His biblical pattern, then we begin to operate in human wisdom. We begin to operate in human talent. We begin to operate in the area of production instead of prophetic power. And and I think sometimes we see the Lord take his hand off of things. Why? Because he's not going to share his glory with anyone, friend. I don't care if your name is Billy Graham. or And, and again, God used Graham mightily, but Billy Graham was a man like you and me. And, and again, I think it's... It's incumbent upon all of us to acknowledge the fact that, like the old song says, I am weak, but you are strong. Um, Friend, in our humanity, we are weak. There is nothing in and of ourselves that we can bring to the table that validates the fact that we can do anything for God. It's only by His Spirit. It's only by His grace. It's only by walking in intimacy with Him. It's only by paying the price. And I know we don't like to hear that in a lot of our modern teaching. People would say, man, that's legalism to talk like that. I don't think so, friend. I, matter of fact, I know it's not. I know that, that there is a mandate upon us to be a people of prayer. It's kind of like back to the, the second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's an Old Testament passage, but it still really rings true as it rang true with the people of Israel. It rings true for the church that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. That's a perfect picture of what bursts revival. But, I, but I'm telling you, the humility part of this, humble themselves and the prayer part of this, pray and seek my face and even the turning from sin. And sometimes that's the sin of promotion or the sin of arrogance or pride listen whenever we neglect this model this mandate then again we get out there in our own strength we get out there in our own effort we get out there in our own ability and as we've seen throughout history what god bursts in prayer that's powerful that's glorious that's life-changing that changes cities sometimes and even nations friend that listen the hand of god can lift off of it and listen i i'm convinced 100% that um, we can live in a revived community. We can relive, we can live among, when I say community, I mean the church community, the community of believers. We can see the power of God sustain. In other words, we don't have to be up and down and in and out. I know we all fight battles and there's different challenges that we come through and that we walk through. But in the same time, I know that, that there is a, a place that the Lord has provided. There is a place of power. There's a place of authority. There's a place of glory and grace that's provided for those that are willing to pay the price in prayer. Those that are willing to embrace the Ezekiel 22 where the Lord says to the prophet, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. I've I've said for years that's one of the most disheartening scriptures I've ever read in my life. But but as as the Lord looked for someone, someone in that hour to to 
to stand in the gap. What does he mean? To be an intercessor, to, to embrace the heart of the Lord for his own people. There was no one to be found. Friend, listen, these great revivals that are birthed, they're birthed because somebody stands in the gap. Somebody is willing to, to, to make up a wall and stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of the people, the land, the, the condition of culture and society. But listen, it's not enough just to do it at the onset of a move of God. We must embrace a lifestyle of standing in the gap. This is our primary purpose as the people of God, to be a people that will come before the Lord incessantly or continually and cry out to God for God to move and for God to manifest His glory and for God to reveal His power. Friend, we are living in such a critical time of history, and I know every church age could say that, but as I look at the condition of the world, the condition of even America, then I I know that we can't just thank God for what God did at Asbury and what we've heard him doing at Lee University and churches and so forth and so on. It's not enough just to be fascinated with what's going on in revival-type settings, but this is, I believe, an hour more than ever before to get in the prayer closet to, to lay a hold of God with everything that you've got, to lay aside any weight, whether it's an addiction to entertainment or anything else, to, to make sure that our lives are pure before the Lord and that we are in a position, that we are positioned in a place, that we can be those instruments, those vessels of honor in the house of the Lord that God can use to sustain what he's doing in the hour right now. I, 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 I don't always understand it. I've taught on prayer and intercession for years. But the fact is, is that God tethers his sovereign power to our prayer lives. And like John Wesley said, there are some things that do not happen except the people of God pray. And I'm encouraging you today, my friend. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God for the reports of revival and visitation. But this is not an hour to, to let up in the prayer closet. This is not an hour to, to just thank God. Okay, Lord, somebody prayed and something's been burdened. No, this is an hour to steward our walk with God in such a powerful way. I, I want to just read this final quote, then we'll close, from Oswald Chambers. He's the man that wrote my utmost for his highest, the great... Um, devotion that many of us know about. He said, true intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude towards that person or that circumstance. People describe intercession by saying, it is putting yourself in someone else's place. He said, this is not true. He said, intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective Friend, that's what intercession is. It's embracing the heart of God for the day that we live in. Are you willing to stand in the gap today? Are you willing to embrace the heart of God for revival, to be sustained in the church so that the world can be awakened to the reality of Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for truth. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be a people of prayer, a people of intercession. Father, awaken our hearts to be 
the people that you want us to be. Lord, use us for your glory in this hour that we live in. And Father, we thank you for your mercy and your loving kindness towards us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, make sure to visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame today. I look forward to being back with you again next week for another episode. God bless you. We love you. And let us hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.